So he's got a focus, he's got a four, five, six damage track, and by spending the health on Necrotic Decay, that will provoke Black Blood. So he's gonna do a point for Blade Rush, a point for Black Blood, and at least four points uh, for the actual damage track if he flips men, but I've got a plus to the damage on that. Oh, that's good. Howdy friends, Craig here. Uh, another deep dive for Neverborn. This time it's Nekima or Nekima, depending on how you pronounce it, and the Fey crew. We've got two top players, uh, one from the UK as well as one from the Texas meta in the US, and they cover step-by-step step how they build their crew, how Nekima is most effective on the table, what traps to avoid, how to play at the next level, what schemes that Fey crew loves and which ones does it like to avoid, we even cover how to counter this powerful keyword. Stick around to the end. We cover whether uh, you really can play Malifaux in two to two and a half hours. It's been uh, a bit of a discussion on all the forums and on a weird place. And uh, both of these gentlemen have a very interesting argument that you should be finishing your games. Enjoy! Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Neverborn Master Nekama and how the Nephilim crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guests are Greg Picasso and Andre Demings. Now, you know Greg from the deep dive on Asami. He once held the top spot in the UK rankings for 12 straight months. He's an accomplished player who is always a podium threat. And Greg, welcome back to the third floor. Hello, Craig. Thanks for having me. So, my friend, um, much like us here in the US, you guys have... Uh, had a bit of a constraint on gaming because of uh, COVID. I'd be interested to know um, during all of this shutdown and everything, um, what have you been doing to kind of satisfy your gaming itch? Um, so my my wife at the moment is a bit of a Total War widow. Um, so yeah, a lot of lot of Warhammer Two Total War, or Total War Warhammer Two. Um, I've actually been painting a lot of Star Wars Legion. Um, I'm looking at a line of clone troopers in front of me right now. Nice. Turns out having nothing to do is a great way to bash out a load of white armor. Um, and then actually playing some, um, a lot of, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the only way you get around to it, right? Like Jesus Christ, it's a thankless task. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I do, I've, I've got markets in front of me for foe, but, um, haven't quite gone to it in terms of actually playing games. Um, a lot of legend of the five rings actually, um, in terms of kind of tabletop card game stuff. Oh. Um, they've got, they've got a great, um, online client for that called Jigoku, which I played a lot just in general, actually like being away with work and um, that's been a bit of a godsend in uh, yeah, lockdown. How about you? Yeah, I've never played Legend of the Five Rings. Uh, I've never played Legend of the Five Rings before, Greg, but I have heard that that is an excellent game. It's superb. Like it's, it's 
genuinely the hardest game I've ever played. Like it's so dense. Um, wow. You've, 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 but, but at the same time, it's because there's a lot of decision points. So kind of as a Malifaux player, it's really um, familiar, if that makes sense. Like you, it does. There's lots of, lots of opportunities to f*** up, um, which means when you win, you, you feel great, <laughs> right? Like you've earned it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very similar to Malifaux. <laughs> That's funny. So Andre, um, you've been on the show before, and you guys probably know Andre. He took Nekama to the last LVO GT and won. Uh, so be sure to listen to our Path to Podium for the Las Vegas Open. Um, he is a feared player in the Lone Star Conference, so welcome back, Andre. Thanks for having me back. It's, it's nice to be back on. So same to you, my friend. What, is, what are all my friends in Texas doing now that they can't leave the house? Uh, well, lacking the ability to beat each other up in real life, uh, we've resorted to Vassal. Um, and so we've been, we've been going back and forth. There's even a, a upcoming World Cup kind of thing, and we're eager to get in there and, you know, strut our stuff. Um, and then beyond that, uh, actually, I also have been throwing down some Warhammer 2 Total War. Uh, got to represent my boys, the Tomb Kings. You know, we got squatted, but, you know, I'm, I'm still here to, to represent. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, other than that, living the dream. Cool, cool, cool. So, guys, we're going to focus on Nekam and the Nephilim crew, and we're going to dig deep into how both of these gentlemen build their crews. I want to know uh, really how the crew plays, how the master plays, what are some key tech pieces um, that they can bring in based off of the strategy and scheme pools, and then we're even going to go into how to counter her. Um, so, Greg, imagine that someone listening right now has never heard of Nekam before, never faced her before, never read her cards can you give me an idea of kind of the style of master she is? Yeah, sure. Um, Nakima is is kind of beautifully direct, um, very um, glass cannon. If if people are familiar with that term, so she hits like an absolute truck, um, but can then shatter quite easily. Um, I'm not sure about you, Andre, but games tend to be kind of um, swing hard one or two ways. Um, you either tear someone's face off or you're in for a real, real struggle. Um, there's not really that many um, options for plan B, but I suppose we'll get into that in kind of a, a, a standard second level play section. Yeah. So out of curiosity, Andre, um, I, I, I saw you, um, you know, kind of nodding as, as Greg was talking. Um, can you give me, um, I mean, is it true that, you know, usually by tune two or three, you know, if you're going to win or lose with her? Uh, for the most part, yes. If Nakima is in her element and her foe is on the back foot, she will have the game decided by the end of turn two, top of turn three, the latest. It's just how quick she is and how she plays by being a glass cannon. You're either dead or you win. Right. Um, so there are exceptions to that rule. I would say if she's having to play a cage match where she's using her mobility instead of engaging, but to rather avoid the enemy and run schemes, uh, obviously that can run down to the wire as you're trying to choose your battles wisely and that can take time. But for the most part, if you know that you can get in there and kill something, then yeah, the game's usually decided by turn, like I said, top of three is the latest. Now, um, Andre, can you talk to me about kind of her signature ability, her main, her main mechanic? Uh, I would say, uh, as Greg said, she is beautifully direct and her signature mechanic is that sort of hers, Lorelei, the living blade. Um, She's got obviously some other mechanics that are you know present throughout Nephilim. They all have uh, typically high movement numbers, flight for the most part. Uh, there are models that don't have it, but use the ones that do. Uh, and they all have region as well as, of course, everyone's least favorite thing about the Nephilim, black blood. So every time you smack them, uh, they'll splash a little bit of damage that doesn't affect themselves. 
uh, and a little bit of a radius. Um, so that kind of combines to show what Nakima's key strengths are in that she can punish you for attacking her, as well as just huge, chunky damage. It's a melee seven, three, five, six damage track. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Absolutely. And then shove aside, she's got as a trigger on that, allows her a lot of mobility, and of course, another attack with that wicked damage track. So that, I would say that's her key feature for the most part. Uh, Greg, I want to talk a little bit more uh, about the sword. Um, Andre kind of uh, hinted at it a little bit. Can you talk to me? Um, we know what the damage track is. We know melee seven. That seems pretty good. Um, how about the triggers? Okay. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, the, be- just before I jump on triggers, I just want to talk about that damage track for a little bit more. Um, because I think the most important thing about that is, uh, for me anyway, is actually the moderate damage of five. Um, you know, there's lots of models with um, five as their severe. And, you know, when, when you come to judging a model, you... you you expect to get weak damage, right? You expect to have negative flips a lot, so therefore you expect to flip. Weak damage is kind of what you put in your head to guarantee. And you may, you know, randomly spike a moderate. Um, but it's, you know, it is more common than you think. And actually hitting that five means that there's lots of models she just essentially one-shots with one AP. Um, and then combined with the um, frenzy charge on the front of a card, um, plus, you know, her shove side trigger, uh, which is on a mask, um, her potential to actually delete one, you know, more than one model in, in an activation is, is not anywhere near beyond the realms of possibility. It, it can actually be quite common, um, depending on the target, you know, defensive tech, etc. Um, the other trigger, uh, which is on a ram, um, is meet for the young. And what that does is that that helps assist with the uh, grow mechanic, which is another part of the um, Nephilim keyword. And... Normally, to, to gain a grow token, um, which is part of that mechanic, you would need to kill a model uh, which costs more than yourself uh, in stones. And what Meat for the Young does is basically let a, another friendly Nephilim uh, near Nakima within three inches uh, basically count as killing that. So she she can lend her killing power oh. to her weaker models. Um, and then they can gain a grow token because of that. Very, very nice. Um, out of curiosity, Andre, I mean, we, we've already you know made it clear she's a glass cannon, right? So um, kind of give me an idea. I mean, does she have anything that helps keep her on the tables or any defensive tech there? Or is it she just, you know, if she gets hit, she's goes, she goes down? I would say Nakima's greatest defensive tech is her mobility. Um, and this obviously combines with, I mean, I basically staple in human reflexes to her card. Oh, okay. Um, now, that was even more true in pre-errata Nakima because we had Butterfly Jump, which was really, really strong. But even post-op, we have uh, Scamper, which is still good enough for her to be able to uh, abuse her two-inch reach. Um, If she can stay near a combat where the foe thinks he'll have to cheat on stuff, she's going to get better positioning, and with the two-inch reach, that can be very, very game-changing. But also, because of her her move six with Flight and things like Shove Aside, she can actually do hit-and-run tactics where she'll jump in smack a model you know trying to fish for that moderate and whether she does or not she'll just declare shove aside and you don't even have to take the extra attack so you'll fling the model four inches away and then she can back up four inches if she wants to to extend that gap um and you know if you only took an ap to get in on that she can move six inches backwards after that so you've got a 14 inch gap right there um and so it's really hard to retaliate especially against a model with flight if she's able to hit and run like that so I'd imagine, Greg, it's, it sounds to me like it is critical to know when to go in with her and when to when to keep her safe. Does that sound accurate? Definitely. I, I think that's actually you've hit on what is true um, about the entire keyword 
in that that it is it is direct and it is um, I suppose brutal. It, it is you know it's it's a it's a savage keyword, right? The monsters tearing you apart, but it's not undirected. Um, it's a lot more of a scalpel than it is a hammer. And 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 what Andre is alluding to there again, it, it's I think it's almost like this, the the higher levels of, of Nakima play is where you kind of realise that actually behind all of this this first section like brutal section there's this whole positional game that you've also you're also able to play um which really really actually opens up quite a bit and it's it's one of the reasons i i really love playing her so guys that kind of gives us a good idea of um a kind of a feel for for nekamon i think that uh, just like any master we got to talk about the keyword itself so let's take a quick break when we get back from this break i want to talk about how these guys build a crew around this master we'll be right back When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So what I'll be really interested to see, you know, with her mobility, with her ability to, you know, delete models, um, I'm very interested to see how you build around that. Um, so, Greg, can we first start off with the obvious hire, which is the totem? Yeah, sure. Um, now, I'm pretty sure this guy's supposed to be a pig um, in the fluff, but <laughs> it, to me, like, I suppose, like, being like an old, old school, like, GW player, it looks like a Chaos Warhound to me. Um, my my proxy's actually a rake from War Machine. I, I refer to it as a dog more than anything else. Um but yeah, anyway, her nice. totem, um, it's a bit of a weird one. So his, his one, um, he's a standard totem, so stats are rubbish, uh, apart from the fact it's very fast. Um, it's on a 40 mil base, which is a little bit weird. Um, for, for most totems, they tend to be on your know, smaller bases, unless you like Lord Chomy bits or something. Um, we do have a standard Black Blood and Regen, which comes with a lot of um, Nephilim models. Um, but his, his main ability um, that, that he kind of synergizes with the crew um, is the ability to, for bonus action, suffer two damage. Um, you've only got four wounds, so, you, so you're caught, you know, talking half your health um, to then drop a corpse marker in base contact. And when we cover other parts of the keyword or the models, um, that, that's, they can then pick up that corpse marker um, to gain grow tokens. Um, the other part is, is actually a, a tasty little damage track um, of 245. Um, it's only stat four, so you can't expect That's a lot. That's good for a totem. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's stat four, yeah. and it's range zero, which which is like horrific. But um, it's 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 good for free, if that makes sense. It's good free damage. Um, you've got the puncture. Yep. You've got the puncture trigger on there as well. So there's, if you do hit with a ram, there's actually potential to start hitting those fours and fives, which you know from a model that that is going to be on the board anyway because you picked the master is is pretty sweet. Um, and and no doubt we'll talk about the Black Blood Shaman um, 
at some point during this podcast. And, and that's another way to kind of get focus on this guy for free. Yeah, what's interesting, um, you know, obviously, you know, four wounds sucks. Um, but, you know, with that regen, you're talking about every time he activates, he increases his health by 25%. I mean, that regen ends up becoming, in a weird way, almost more impactful. And, and uh, he also has eat your fill, right? Which uh, he does, I yeah. can help a little bit. Okay, I was going to say he also has um, Stampede, which um, actually right. um, then uh, kind of synergizes with his zero melee range. I mean, you still prefer a one and have Stampede, but it, um, it means, you know, if you charge, you still got extra damage. Um, it's worth pointing out, though, that that Stampede damage then doesn't trigger Black Blood. Um, Black Blood's changed from, from right. M2E, so it's only um, actions or triggers now. Um, and Stampede's an ability. Yeah. So, Andre, you have decided you're going to play Nephilim, and you've uh, obviously got Nekama, you've brought in the uh, Blood Hunter. What is, what is just your guaranteed first hire? You don't even need, don't even need to know the pool or the opponent. I uh, don't even need to know the pool or opponent. It's going to be the Black Blood Shaman. I'll hire one or two Black Blood Shamans uh, to, to kind of give out the core of the crew. Um, it, what it brings is uh, an ability that, as we mentioned earlier, pairs nicely with the Blood Hunters, you know, puking up corpses. Uh, it's Blasphemous Ritual, which will, they'll pick up that corpse marker within three and hand out a focus and a pulse to all friendly models within three. Um, and that is very AP efficient in terms of how effective that makes the rest of your crew very quickly. And I'll also point back to Nikima's 356 track, where right. if you start handing her loads of focus, it gets real gross real fast because then she can fish for those five damage moderates um, with, with relative ease. Uh, they, another ability they have uh, with the Black Blood Pustule, um, it, it causes a point of damage to a Black Blood model and it increases the pulse by an inch for a two-inch pulse with Black Blood. But the important thing is that it has a tome trigger to give the target that they pustule uh, focus as well. So uh, a Shaman can actually spend his turn handing out three focus to Nikima uh, if he can hit that tome trigger twice, which I have done before. Um, so especially if you hire two Black Blood Shamans, you'll have your whole crew with at least two focus and potentially Nikima walking out the door haven't even activated yet with like four focus on turn one and with that track and that accuracy is gross. Yeah, that's good. And to Greg's point, you know, you have to stop thinking just uh, min damage. You know, when you've got it, when you've got a situation where it's relatively easy to get focus, um, you have to start evaluating that damage track and seeing how it ramps to really get an understanding of, of the power itself. Greg, are black blood shamans pretty common in your core crew? Yeah, definitely. Um, they've also got, um, which I'm sure Andre is about to jump right onto, um, a great little um, a trigger on their, their knife, um, which basically is another way to get another corpse counter. Um, it's called uh, Blood Sacrifice. Um, so it only affects living, be so undead. Um, and basically all you do is you drop a corpse marker into base contact with the target. And if that target has black blood, so it's one of your Nethalin models basically, um, it then heals one. And it's worth noting that the minimum damage um, on that knife is one. So you know if you hit weak damage... Your, your model takes damage, heals back, um, and then you get another course marker, which again you could use for focus um, or you nice. could use for grow. Right. So after Black Blood Shamans, uh, Greg, wh wh what models do you pick up next? Uh, so I like to start um, with at least one mature Nephilim, um, sometimes two. Um, they are, you know, you know the, the, wow. the final the final start of the growth cycle. Um, you know, Chris. 
uh, you know, stereotypical Nephilim. So fast, you know, move six, um, standard regen, black blood. Um, we do have combat finesse, which is an interesting bit of defensive tech. So you can't cheat melee actions against them, which is great when they always want to be in melee. Um, the me you know, melee strat itself, three, four, six damage, stat six to start with, really good. Um, and the most important thing, and watch, you know, part of what makes a lot of Nephilim, especially the wing Nephilim, um, really scary, apart from actually the Black Blood Shaman, let's not contradict myself there, um, is he have Fly With Me. So it's for six, yep. they can pick up a model with size less than themselves, and they're height three or size three. Um, so it's, you know, any size two model or lower. Um, and then they can place within four inches. And because of place rules, that's in a 50 mil base, that's almost a six inch move. You know, you get teens a bit less. Then you've still got two AP after that. Um, so you're talking, you know, fly with me for pretty much a six. Um, they can then place that model in front of them if you want, because they've got flight, so they can hop over it. And then um, they can then charge after that with a two inch melee range. So you're talking the best part of it, just under a 20 inch threat range um, with a three, four, uh, three, four, six damage track. And then the shove a side trigger if you want to go even further. Yeah, I mean, they're good. They're expensive, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. They are definitely, but but you know, going back to what we said about positional play, choosing when and where to go in, um, you can get a lot of work out of them. Um, and I like to I like to start one just for for tempo more than anything else. So I'd be curious, Greg, what makes you decide whether to bring one or two? Um, scheme pool and um, an opponent. Um, I tend I tend to try and grow one as well. Um, so I'd like to start with one and then and then aim to grow a second um, on turn two, if if. Um, I've got, like, say, a ranged heavy crew in front of me where I think they'll, they'll be able to... Or the board is a little bit sparse. Um, then I'd want the extra speed on the off. Because um, basically what, you, what you're trading is, is is with growing is, as opposed to buying one, is um, tempo in terms of, like, board position, how fast you're going to get downfield compared to kind of efficiency with soul stones. You know, if you if you go Blackbird Shaman, for example, let's say, or, or a young, um, you're saving you know, three or four stones, um, which could be spent on something else. Um, and then you also got other abilities that you could be passing out focus or similar. Yeah. And I think the other thing is key too, to remember um, that, you know, when you look at the, this crew, the first time the grow mechanic is something that's so unique that you, it makes you think that this is key. But one thing there's a, there's a case to be made for hiring the, the mature as opposed to growing it. And that's because, you know, what best case scenario turn two, maybe you might, be able to grow one out of a you know with that and you've lost a turn you've lost a turn of mobility you've lost a turn of threat um and uh you know that that can be key now andre how about you do you hire one two zero how many how does matures fit into your crew um it depends on the style of nikima crew that i'm doing there's two different styles that i enjoy one is the pure nephilim crew uh, and if i'm doing pure nephilim i'm going to hire two I'm going to put Ancient Pact on them, uh, and I'm going to hire Hayridin. Because what that does is it gives me a ton of early hitting power. Um, because like like Greg mentioned, they have a 20-inch threat range, and they can bring Hayridin with them for six of that. Um, and beyond that, it also synergizes well with the Black Blood Pustule that both the Blood Shaman that I will hire for that crew also has, as well as Hayridin. Um, and they are the... Not much of a bragging right, but they are the tankiest of the Nephilim. That is to say, they have the key feature of combat finesse, which can really frustrate people trying to kill you in a melee. And they also have region two, which can be yeah. very critical uh, to staying alive. Um, so if I'm doing, like like I said, a pure Nephilim build, that's definitely what I go for. Uh, if I'm doing a more, uh, you know, 
approachable to versatiles crew uh, because at the end of the day, black blood shamans handing out a ton of focus works for everyone. And there's not really a model you pick that doesn't like having a ton of focus on it. Yeah. Um, I'll leave the matures at home because they are expensive um, and they don't tend to synergize as well if you're not going to bring size two models because Nakima can't ride with them or fly with them because um, she's size three. And uh, a model that I think is really important in GG1 is uh, the Hooded Rider, and he can't fly with them either. Um, so if I'm going for a versatile build, I'll leave them at home. If I'm going pure Nephilim, you got to take them. And- so what is? let's talk about the Hooded Rider a little bit, Andres. If you're, if you're doing that Nekama versatile build and you bring in the Hooded Rider, why the? I mean, the Hooded Rider is good, but why specifically with this crew? Uh, so what the Hooded Rider does is gives me access to two things. One, it gives me access to a model for corrupted ley lines that can move between the uh, ley line markers in a single go. So he can ride with me and then move, move, and with unimpeded, uh, he can get to that other marker. And Nephilim themselves can't do that because the lodestone prevents place mechanics, which kind of uh, you know reduces the effectiveness of having all that flight because you just can't use it if you're trying to run the strategy. Um, so he gets around that. The other thing he does is that Nephilim normally, in order to deal with a lot of models that are clumped, basically have to rely on Black Blood to kill those models quickly, uh, which is fine. We have access to it. It's our cool thing. But it costs us health uh, and potentially models to make it work. Uh, whereas the Hooded Rider, especially if you're juicing him up with focus um, and that blast trigger on his melee attack means that he can wipe out groups of models without right. giving up hit points in the process. Uh, so he ends up being a very strong beater, uh, which has the added benefit of taking heat off of Nikima, uh, since he's also a fast, difficult to bring down beater model. Greg, do you find yourself using Hooded Rider with her at all? Yeah, yeah, for, for exactly the reasons that, that Andre mentioned. Um, he the, the, in GG one again for the, he's about the only way I, I play corrupted idols if I'm going to take Nikima because the, the 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 place thing is such a big hit. Um, it's such a big deal. Um, he's also, I mean, the, the crew itself is quite mask heavy at times. Uh, you know, you want those shoves aside and things like that. And so him you know, being able to generate his own through um, the, the kind of token mechanic that, that riders have uh, useful is very useful, kind of makes them very um, self-contained. So, um, Greg, we, so we talked about mature Nephilim. We talked about the blood, blood, uh, the black blood shaman. Um, what are some other uh, models that you consider core uh, for a Nephilim crew? Um, so, so I'll stick with, with Nephilim myself for now, um, and then we'll, we'll, I'll go on to some versatile ones um, a little bit later. Um, so I actually take uh, young Nephilim quite often, um, which, are, I mean, they are, they are like mini-matures. Um, so damage track isn't as good. Um, only 2, 4, 5. It's only stat 5, but you get a positive built in, which is quite nice. Um, can be quite efficient um, at times, but, you know, you've got to be uh, wary about about what you go in um, into. I don't think it's as big a deal as it was mm-hmm. in, in M2E, where um, a lot of like kind of defense six started creeping in as, as time went on. Um, but most importantly, they actually have the onslaught trigger, which yeah. is on a mask, and the crew is mask heavy. Um, but being able to just to take the action again, and they have fly with me. Um, so for, a, I think it's a seven-stone model, um, again, you still get, uh, I think, 19 inches worth of threat out of, out of a young Nephilim. <laughs> so good. Uh, and the ability to move something which is which is size one, which is pretty cool. Well, you both have kind of hinted at this and we talk about, you know, the, these threat ranges and, you know, when we talk about, you know, these threat ranges, obviously the first thing we're thinking about when we talk about it is, 
um, you know, killing power, right? The, the, the surgical ability to say, I am here, I'm going to be over there and I'm going to, you know, cause you problems. But you guys have hinted at the fact that this mobility must be huge as far as positioning. So a lot of these schemes where positioning are, are important and even the strats where positioning is important with flight and this ability, all of these abilities that's getting them mobile. I would expect, Andre, that um, you would spend time that, you know, sometimes your beaters are dropping ski markers. Oh, absolutely. Uh, certainly pre-errata, um, it was, opponents were baffled that I'd run like, you know, search the ruins or whatever on turns two and three with matures, uh, you know, because especially putting Ancient Pact on them like I do, uh, spending 12 stones to drop a ski marker seems like a waste. But at the 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 key here is that they, they can't really stop you from running that scheme. Right. No one's like, oh, I'll just casually use my necropunk to bring down the material. Like that's just <laughs> it's gonna win the scheme running jousts. Um, yep. and beyond that, even though it doesn't have don't mind me, if you can find a mask in hand to get that shove aside trigger off, uh, you can get out of melee to where you need to go uh, without having to take a disengage action or anything like that. So they end up actually being pretty effective scheme runners, even though it theoretically is far below their pay grade. Um, but I mean, they have the ability to do it and it gets the job done. What, what is the phrase that you guys have over there, Greg points or prizes? <laughs> yeah. Points with prizes. Yeah. yeah man. Like, it, it, if you've got more points at the end of the game, you've won. It, it doesn't matter what those models did during the game at all. Yep. It doesn't matter what yep. they're supposed to be doing. If you've got more points at the end, you won. Like job done. And and similar to what we said in the um, Sammy episode, like it, they, they're fast enough they can change gears. You know, you you can be on the flanks right. dropping some ski markers, and you've got twenty inches worth of movement. You can just dash back in. Well, I'm imagining how just absolutely frightening it must be to have a mature Nephilim come into my deployment zone, dropping ski markers, scoring points, and now I, you know, he's done with that. Now I've got a mature Nephilim in my you know, coming coming from a totally new threat vector, and I've got to keep track of that and Nekamon. That's just got to be a nightmare. Greg, one of the things I hear um, all the time from uh, uh, Neverborn players is um, kind of they they can't they complain they don't have actual good scheme running models. Um, and you know, we've talked about how you know you can get around that a little bit with Nekama, but is is that something like do you is there a model that you consider a good scheme runner that you like to use in a Nekama crew? I do actually, yeah, and and this might be a little bit controversial, um, but I I absolutely adore wicked doors. Like I love wicked doors. Um, they're only three stones. They're significant. I mean, they've only got three wounds, which and defense four. So like anything looks at them and they will fall over. Um, but they actually, but they do have stealth um, and they're size one, so you can't target them if you're more than six inches away. And and yep. then closing the gap, which is generally through a wall of Nephilim is a just it's just a pain. So yes, it can kill them if they want, but they have to get within six inches of them, which is generally more trouble than it's worth. Or even if they do and they die, that's that's fine because you've had to dedicate like extra. You've had you basically had to punch them in the face. Um, it's it's very right. hard to to um, to shoot them because of the stealth. Um, then they've also got creep along. So they've, so they've basically got three AP and they're a three store model, and you'll always have you can always have models in front of them because your nephilim are so damn fast. And right. So, right. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, you, you might be. You know, I, I always put upgrades on my nephilim as well on, on my matures. So you know, if I took two matures, I spent twenty four stones, which is like half your crew, on two models. Um, I could then just spend another nine stones and have three more <laughs> significant models running about the place. 
that, that could be carried by said Nephilim. I mean, I don't carry them often because uh, at all, actually, because the black blood um, plus three wounds is, is horrific. But um, let's say a young carries one, for example, because they're only size one, young's um, size two. Then they've moved six inches up. The young's flapped off to do its thing. They can then creep along up next to it and then walk another 10 inches because you've got move five. So, and then, you know, start, just start dropping ski markers on turn one, you know, halfway up the board for, for three stones. And if your enemy wants to deal with them, you've got to get within six inches. Um, or, you know, shockwaves are the other thing, but um, that's the, like, kind of the only thing you've got to watch out for. It sounds like they would be a pretty nasty little AP sink to get rid of, which is fantastic, right? I mean, that's it, handing slow to those models in, in its own weird way. And at, for three stones, I mean, even if they, you know, didn't end up, um, you know, being distractions and or models that are scoring you points. I mean, three stones isn't the worst for, for a, you know, essentially a pass token, right? That's a, it's an activation that you can make happen and allows you to be even more surgical with your matures and your Nekama. Exactly, and it scores points. Um, and and you've you've just you've hit on almost exactly the reason I love them is is the imbalance. Is that these cost me three stones? I'm not overly concerned about them. They'll do their thing, but it will a hundred percent take you more than three stones worth of stuff to get rid of it. Right. Almost certainly, because there's not too many ga- things in the game that cost three stones to start with. So Greg Greg mentioned Andre. This was a controversial pick. Uh, do you have you used Wicked Dolls? I have not used Wicked Dolls. Um, I can see the arguments for them. Uh, the thing, though, is at the end of the day, I loathe trying to use models between like that five and six range and below. I don't like very much. Shaman's the exception to the rule in that I take them. Um, because every time I hear, wow, X is really good for a five or six stone model, I'll think, hmm, I'll take one. And then, you know, first activation of turn two, it was part of the Peacekeeper's, you know, mall into the into my crew and so i was like well you know i'm paying five or six stones for really cool headstones and that's about it um so i don't usually take the cheaper models i tend toward i tend toward an elitist crew um and with that i do that because in combination with spamming ancient pact uh, it means that you're guaranteed the initiative um which because i use nikima at perhaps a bit too aggressively usually uh, in order to get her out. She needs that first activation for regen to kill something, whatever the case may be. Um, so I tend to shy away from the cheaper models uh, for that reason. Andre, can we talk a little bit more about some of your versatile builds? So we already talked about hooded rider. Um, what, what does this versatile build of yours look like? Um, so if anyone who's ever met me knows that I build crews and then go to a uh, Malifaux match. So um, you know, this is usually irreverent of what I'm playing if I'm doing this versatile build, uh, and I realize that I'm psychotic that I do this. But essentially, top to bottom, my my versatile Nakima build uh, is uh, Nakima with Inhuman Reflexes, Hooded Rider, uh, Doppelganger, Serena Bowman, two Black Blood Shamans, the Pig, um, and the Serena has Ancient Pact on her, uh, and that leaves me with seven stones, I think. And what that does is it gives me a scheme runner that I need, which is the doppelganger. Um, yep. But the doppelganger, if she doesn't have to run schemes or go you know, try to do don't mind me stuff in the middle of combat, she can be like, hey, Ryder, that's a pretty cool sword. Mind if I borrow it? And so um, it allows for a lot of pinch hitting. Uh, and then the doppelganger, the hooded Ryder, and Serena all love having that focus from the Black Blood Shamans being handed out. Because Serena's usually just taken as like a healer and a condition removal model that's hard to kill. 
Um, but with the two, four, six, you start stacking focus on her and she starts slapping pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, Serena, or I'm sorry, the doppelganger can copy it out and, uh, you know, hit as hard as, you know, any other model in the crew, but at stat seven, um, or more importantly, she can put people on the back foot by luring a model in, uh, you know, mimic her own lure, go to stat seven and then lure, a model, you know, hopefully once or twice across the board, if that hooded rider can get her into a place to lure without moving. I, I, I was hoping you were going to bring up the lure piece because I will tell you that I think um, in in the core core uh, three uh, pools and in, even in um, GG zero pools, um, lure was fine. Um, I I will argue that the best thing that ever happened to Lure is gaining grounds one. Um, the nature of how all of these schemes and strats work now, um, you know, I never as a resurrectionist player didn't look at rotten bells. They just weren't worth it, especially when I can take you know some a dead dandy, um, which you just get a lot more for a lot less stones. But uh, that's a lot different now. Um, Greg, do you find yourself using the doppelganger at all? Um, not the doppelganger, but um, I actually found it interesting that Andre mentioned lures because um, the other two versatile models I was going to talk about were the Mysterious Effigy, uh, which t- gets taken primarily because it, ha- it has lure, um, and, and Hinamatsu, uh, which also has lure. Um, and both those models are also just a little bit more durable than your standard Nephilim. Um, I'm actually right. a really big fan of taking Hinamatsu um, with Nakima because she's she stat six positive flip. Uh, so she takes care of herself in terms of the damage regards um, and again she's she's size 2 so she can be carried by another mature um, if you know Herodin's being carried by by mature number 1 um, and then move 6 um, plus rush for the additional distance on the charge um, she can end and can also you know, go really really far and we talked about how, how fragile the crew is and, and Hinamatsu with the armor 2 plus the ability to use soul stones kind of gives you a good anchor um, to kind of turn your crew around and use that mobility while keeping other stuff kind of in place and having a bit of a an immovable object. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I I don't use the doppelganger, but I use very um, I use Lua for very similar reasons. Um, yeah, you're, you're finding the thing. I gotta tell you guys, I have not played against Nakama yet. Um, so this is this has been fascinating for me. I'm starting to think about being on the other side of the board right now with all of these potential threat vectors coming at me and the speed coming at me, and and obviously, you need a good player, right? You need a good pilot for Nakama. Um, otherwise, you know, you're just gonna you know wipe the board. But I think about somebody who is good with her and knows how to choose the points of engagement. And has the speed to make that happen and to force the issue? That sounds nightmarish to me. Um, we've talked a lot about the upgrades. Um, before we wrap up on the crew, um, Greg, is there any other models that we need to make sure people are thinking about as they're building their uh, Nephilim crews? I, don't, I mean, Haywarden's probably the one that's worth considering. Um, he, he's a henchman. Um, but you know what? I'm actually going to defer to um, Andre on this because I'm pretty sure he has um, a lot more experience with Haywarden than, than I do. I think you, you, did you take him in almost every crew in, at LVO, Andre? Yes, I did. Uh, my crew for the entirety of LVO was Nikima with Inhuman Reflexes, two Matures with Ancient Pact, Herodin with Inhuman Reflexes, a Black Blood Shaman, the Pig, and Seven Stones. What I'll say on Herodin is that he is somehow more of an epitome of being a glass cannon than even Nikima is, um, because he can do more damage than she does in an AP, but at the cost of his own health. 
Right. Um, so he's got that necrotic decay trigger. So what I used to do is have Hayridan within human reflexes. If he can walk and then charge through someone for blade rush, that's a point. He'll stone for the crow to get necrotic decay. So even if he and he's got a focus because of the black blood shaman from turn one. So he's got a focus. He's got a four, five, six damage track. And by spending the health on necrotic decay, that will provoke black blood. So he's going to do a point for blade rush, a point for black blood, and at least four points. Uh, for the actual damage track if he flips min, but I've got a plus to the damage on that. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, I, I've taken to calling it the splat bat because uh, that's what it does. Um, but like I said, it does cost him his health to do that, and it leaves him in a very precarious position, which usually was uh, afforded to him to survive by butterfly jump. Uh, but now that he doesn't have that as much, scamper is good, but it's more of a... Uh, reposition mechanic rather than a mechanic that gets you out of suffering damage. Right. Um, and so Herodin losing that ability to keep himself alive despite spending his health, he's kind of lost favor with me a bit. Um, that being said, I still uh, like Herodin a lot. I think that he's got some gross tricks to him. Uh, the the One of the least favorite of my opponents is the Black Blood Pustule with the swift action trigger to do it again. Uh, so he can actually start his activation and pustule in a two-inch radius for a plink of one damage four times, which if you're bunched up, like, that hurts. That hurts real bad. And then he's got a bonus action for every time someone dies to black blood, which pustule counts, you get a free tot out of it. Um, he's our only summoning mechanic to actually start the growth cycle, and um, if you can get that to work, it feels really good. Uh, but like I said, uh, he's got a lot of power to him, but not a lot of tank. He does have defense six, which is unheard of for Nephilim. But the uh, problem is, is that he has a huge bounty on his head and not a real way to dodge it at this point. So, Greg, you know, Andre talked about, you know, with the upgrades that you have there, um, you know, you're collecting those pass tokens. And it's Andre, you know, said that, you know, it's very critical that you uh, get to decide who takes the first activation on the coming turn. Right. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you have, you are in a situation where you might have one or more models in a precarious position. Um, you know, when you're playing Greg, and let's just say you, you know, you've got, you've got a thing spread out at this point, you've got things going. Can you kind of walk me through the thought process where you decide, you know, yeah, I'm not going to activate Nekama first. I'm going to try to have her survive another turn because I've, I see something else going on here. And obviously it's situational from uh, game to game, but I'd be, I'd be interested to know at least your thought process. Where you, How do you decide what to activate first? Because it sounds like in this crew, that's huge. That's, yeah, damn quick. That, that, that's a really fucking complicated question. Um, <laughs> it it comes, I mean, it's, there's no easy answer to this. It's it's experience, right? Uh, more than well, so situational, um, right? Yeah, yeah. One 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 thing that that I think is worth worth stressing is that, that part of the reason that it's key to go first is is the regen on your models. Um, if you think the chemo and the matures, they regen two wounds a turn. Um, you know, lots of models have minimum two, so so that regen is an extra attack to kill you. Um, it's it's an extra chance to maybe trigger um, scamper if if your opponent cheats right, and so partially it's it's if I you know do model A what is model B going to be hit by you know is can I can I cope with that two damage do I need to heal two damage over here um, do I need to get away before you know Nikima's tied down by something for example um, and it's it's all it, it all focuses around what either what do I want to do or or what do I want to keep alive? 
uh, more than anything else for me. Um, it, it's it's mainly a you know there's a big difference between kind of a, a mature on one wound standing by himself um, and a guy on like um, three wounds um, standing next to a, a model of min damage too. Because if I activate that guy standing by himself, he's got no health. If he's not going to get shot, he I'll gamble him on one health because if the other model hits me, hits you know mature number two twice, that's potentially going to go down. Whereas if I just activate right. that and heal it twice, and 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 let's say I let's say I try and kill that model, and I miss with both attacks. Um, unless you know he said like my opponent spikes a mod of it, um, that that mature can take two min damages and they're gonna it's gonna take another model to remove it from the board and so kind of in terms of activation advantage ap advantage um i I can keep that managed yeah and i think that ability to do a threat assessment that way greg is is a big part of malifaux in general but it sounds even because again of this glass cannon nature of this crew it's even more important with this nephilim crew and if you can get that right and correctly be able to triage uh, turn by turn on what your, your activation order needs to be. Um, I, I would imagine that's the difference, right? Between a person who plays Nekoman says she's garbage because, you know, everybody dies. And then, you know, people like uh, you and Andre that go in and win with her because you have the ability to smartly be able to, to make those choices. Andre, is there anything you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I would say that the, the, the make or break skill to have with Nakima is the ability to pick your battles correctly, which I think is the hardest thing to do uh, in, in the crew as well. I mean, obviously it's the most rewarding, but it's the most difficult uh, in that you have to kind of have a, a, an overarching understanding of what your opponent's crew can do um, and whether or not she will survive or whoever you're throwing in will survive the engage. Um, uh, and often I'll actually, I've had games where I have cheated the initiative to force the opponent to go first Mm. Um, because I need to see his models activate out, and I'll blow all my pass tokens waiting because Nephilim have the speed to dictate the engagement. Um, where you know you play that waiting game because you need you know his key pieces or what, just one or two of his key pieces to not be able to go to damage Nakima, and then that's the point at which you can go in. Where you're like, okay, cool. If she takes these two swings, one of which is focused, she'll live through that. I can do this. Right. Um, and but that, like I said, comes in. Uh, to a greater effect once you actually know what your opponent's crew is capable of. Um, so it's a hard skill to master just because you have to know exactly what your opponent is capable of. Um, beyond that, um, uh, the regen game also can work in reverse. You know, what model do I activate first to get that region back is nice, but sometimes I will actually hold off on Nakima's activation if she's at full health and in a dangerous place because I know that the opponent's going to try and kill her and getting that you know, getting those two wounds back to reduce what he's been doing, uh, you know, without having to burn a stone to get those two wounds um, can be big if uh, if I'm confident that she'll survive that first activation. That makes a ton of sense, ton of sense. So, guys, we're going to take another break. When we get back for this break, I want to talk a little bit about the pools, um, places where you guys are finding um, the Nephilim crew to be a viable choice in competition with other great masters in Neverborn, you know, including Titania. So uh, we're going to be using, obviously, talking about Gaining Grounds uh, Season 1 strategies and schemes. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. 
crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So, another key part um, for all of this is really figuring out, you know, when to play the Nephilim crew. So Andre, um, of the four, uh, strategies that we have in gaining grounds one, is there one strategy that makes not necessarily guarantees you're going to bring Nakama, but makes you say, you know what, she has play here and she's, she's in the mix. Uh, I would say that my favorite strategy for GG one to play her in is going to be symbols of authority for me. Um, you know, people might initially think public enemies for her killing power, but the glass can makes it dicey and her mobility is actually what her greatest tool is. And Symbols of Authority is where she shines for me. I think it's dual fold. One, uh, when she goes in on an engage, she has a huge area of control, being a 50 mil with a two-inch reach. Uh, so what will often happen in Symbols of Authority is that, uh, you know, late turn one, early turn two, I can catch the opponent in his own table half, and he can't get <laughs> to my stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, the with the shove aside trigger and things like that, uh, they have the in a fight mobility to get themselves out of a melee, interact with that strategy marker and get back into the thick of things with their speed uh, without sacrificing a lot of hitting power. And I think that's the strategy for me that she most excels at. How about you, Greg? Do you like her into symbols? Oh, no, I, I 100% agree. Um, what, one of the great things about symbols is that the, uh, the strategy kind of does half the work for you. Um, you, you know, <laughs> you, you're a very almost exclusively melee focused crew. Um, like you know, I think Haven's got a shotgun, and then you know you're talking about calling Blackbird pustular gun, um, and so for the the enemy crew to kind of have to run towards you to score points in strat is is absolute gravy. Um, and then as Andre said, you've, yep. you've got the speed um, and the hitting power to actually to to, to pin your opponent back. Um, and that's again, it's another reason why I love those wicked dolls. Is that I can I can spend stones on big guy, beefy guys to pin the opponent down, and then you know have six nine stones worth of guys scoring the points. So out of curiosity, is there any other strategy where you think uh, these that uh, the Nephilim crew has play? Um, recovers okay. Um, again, can, can be a bit dicey. Um, actually, I, I I really want to. Um, to kind of preface this because I, I despise it when other people do this, but um, because of lockdown, I've, I <laughs> haven't played any um, like GG ones. So this is all uh, my experience playing the game over the past like six, nine months, and then uh, sure, you know, playing sure, Malifaux, sure, sure. reading the stats and schemes. Um, so, yeah, please take everything here with a grain of salt. Um, so, yeah, it, it's Symbols is the main one that, that's the one that shouts out, maybe recover, um, but for again, the same reason, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, but it, it, it feels um, a bit dicey. That, that, that's a game I think that could go south uh, pretty fast, pretty fast. Um, yeah, same with and public I think enemies. And Andre's comment about yeah, Andre's comment about public enemies I think makes a ton of sense too. Which is yeah, you might be scoring a lot of points, but you could be easily giving up points too, right? Uh, by the nature of what the crew is. Andre, how about um, on the scheme front? What are some schemes that you're having success with with the Nephilim crew? Oh, uh, let them bleed without a doubt is a fantastic. <laughs> 
uh, I mean, obviously it's to her theme. And then beyond that, um, she can get a lot of damage out on, on big models that she, she wants to bring down, but save them for later, usually because she'll have that initiative advantage. So if turn three, you know, they've got their, you know, big beaters, uh, and they've already gone. Uh, if I can, uh, hold off getting murdered by them for just long enough for Nakima to go that next turn, you'll score that point for having them to below max health and then just finish them off so you don't have to worry about it. And then beyond that, uh, the second point of let them bleed where everything except one model has to be below, ha- uh, below full health uh, is really easy because Black Blood is just ping damage everywhere and right. it's, you're going to get everything below full health by, by turn five or you know the final turn for sure. Yeah, just built in mechanically, you're you're an att- you're 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 attriting the other side. Absolutely, and I yep. think the other thing they actually excel at is um, things that control the center. Um, if so, if I'm doing leave your mark, I can drop a ski marker on the center line and um, plant a mature on top of it, and it's going to take them way too long to remove that before I can score that point. Um, obviously, like having a, like a knockdown drag out fight isn't necessarily the Nephilim strength, but if you can kind of sneak it in, um, or, um, you know, take theirs away, it's actually why I like the doppelganger a lot is because she's really good at leaving mark. Um, it, it can lend to your strength. And obviously the Nephilim hoped to have won the scrum, um, by turn three or four, uh, which means you can score the second point for leaving mark very easily without having to travel around a lot. Um, so I think those are my two favorite schemes for Nakima and GD one. I'd be I'd be curious, Greg. Obviously, when GG One came out, you like everybody else ran and took a look at uh, at the what the new pools were. Is there any of the schemes in GG One that um, you know you think, um, uh, including Let It Bleed, that, that would uh, would play into the kind of game that uh, a Nephilim crew wants to play? Yeah. Um, so, so one of the other ones that um, that jumped out for me, one of the newer schemes, was sabotage. Um, so that's you know um, placing two ski markers within you know two inches of a of a chosen um, terrain piece, and then um, which which is easily done because you know with models with with fly with me, you can drop a ski marker, bonus action to move, drop another ski marker. Um, now the other part of that is is not having an enemy model within three inches of, and line of sight of your ski markers. Um, now it's that is not actually the end of the world for a, a Nephilim crew because a lot of your models um, that we mentioned earlier are actually on forty or fifty mil bases. Um, you know, some of them um, might be size three, so you can actually block line of sight to your own models. Um, and if um, an enemy model kind of comes close to get within three inches or needs to move out of position to get line of sight, that can again potentially work in your favor. Um, you know, if an enemy model is going to come back to try to stand within three inches of one of the markers, well, you just kill that enemy model um, because you're Nephilim and you can get to it. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, you've got weight. Yeah, you've got ways to get rid of it, right? If you're not killing them, you you've got enough shove aside triggers that you can uh, you know help make sure that 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 that, that positioning doesn't happen um, as well. So I'd be curious, Andre, um, if I'm going to go up against a Nephilim crew, if my opponent declares Nekama, um, what are some schemes that I should just consider dead schemes in the pool? Um, what are schemes you shouldn't pick if you're going to face uh, Nekama? Hmm, dead schemes. It. I wouldn't say there's any schemes that Nakima can deny so handily that you shouldn't ever consider them. Um, I think by her very nature, she's kind of mercurial in what she does and doesn't defend. Um, I would say that if you're going to bring models in a pool where there are killy schemes like Vendetta or things like that, uh, if you can try to, uh, I would say to keep your model count that or your cost under 10 
so that the matures can't pick Vendetta. Um, yep. Or uh, if you want to try and dodge Harridan, try to stay out of nines. But obviously that can get dicey depending on what you want to bring. Or pick a model that's just so freaking tanky for that cost that you're confident that they wouldn't go for it. Um, and I think that's probably one of, one of the more key issues is that she has a ton of strong, beefy hitter models, but they're all really expensive. And right. so um, if you can kind of undercut her on Vendetta, A, you'll have plenty of targets to use Vendetta, because even for 10 stones, if you can not kill them by claw actions, then matures are actually kind of squishy. Um, and uh, you can you know, focus them down without too much effort if you can get that key uh, point going. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, guys, let's take another break. When we get back from this break, we're going to get to my favorite segment, which is always the second-level play and counters. So we'll be right back. Howdy, friends. Here on the third floor, you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase Markle-compatible, and lighter than neoprene. These mats use a new material that almost eliminates any glare. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. It's going to speed up your deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. Until the end of June 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR620 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR620, that's T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-620, to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. So I kind of hinted at it, you know, when the first time you look at the Nephilim crew, you know, the, you, you know, obviously black blood jumps out, but the, the grow mechanism like jumps out, you know, it's like, oh, wow, how unique and cool is that? And I'm going to build around that and make that kind of happen. Um, I, I have not, I've talked to enough people that play her that say, you know what, the grow mechanism, when it happens, it's great. But uh, they have not found success focusing on that as their main strategy uh, for winning the game, which a lot of times when you have, um, you know, multi-phase things like a grow mechanic, um, that can be the smart play. But um, we've hinted at a lot of the second level play, Andre. We've talked about, you know, knowing how to pick your battles, um, timing. Um, What are some other things if someone is playing Nekama that it's after maybe their fifth sixth, seventh, tenth game with her, they're going to realize um, something about about this crew that they didn't realize um, until they got their reps in. Uh, for me, without a doubt, it's how absolutely disgusting the Blood Hunter actually is. <laughs> okay. Um, so everyone underestimates it because it's a totem. It's got bad totem spots. 100% agree. It's like, yeah, okay, I, you know, I can ignore this thing. There's matures running around. I got to deal with those first. Um, and what he really, he really shines is because usually he'll spend turn one focusing, not moving, standing in range of the black blood shaman. He's got two focus and he's just kind of running around. And what will happen is there'll be a key piece. You know, usually you're out of stones by then, you know, they might have two (laughs) wounds left, hard to kill. And they're like, I'll be fine. It's just a totem. And the problem is the totem has multiple methods of dealing undodgeable plink damage you just yep. can't do anything about so i mean he'll stampede into you there's a point and if he can get back to full health by the time he's got to make a play 
he can also, by doing his uh, puke up a corpse action, uh, he suffers damage from an action which provokes black blood. So not only is he getting that charge attack off with focus on a two, four, five track where cards are probably sparse by the end of the turn, uh, he's also just dealing two damage that you can't dodge. It's just yeah. coming in. Um, and I've had so many opponents that uh, were just like, really? that This huge epic combat in the center and I get punked by the pig? Um, and so I think that uh, the proper use of the Blood Hunter is both important and uh, not really intuitive to start off, I would say. Well, and what's, you know, it's a dangerous combination, Andre, is a disposable model that can put out damage, which is exactly what this thing sounds like. So if you go in there and maybe you have to kill him, you know, maybe he has to kill himself to drop that marker. But if he's finishing off a seven stone model in that process, yeah, that sounds like a fantastic trade to me. Um, how about you, Greg? What are some things that it took you a little bit of time to figure out about this crew? Um, so, yeah, I, I want to echo um, Andre on the, the Blood Hunter and how... Um, it comes out of nowhere, and, and the, the, the thing about the chip damage is also the timing, because um, it helps get around things like hard to kill, um, where you, you, know, you knock them down on a wound, and then you do your stampede, or, or then you do your bonus um, to take that last wound off. Um, one thing I think is actually really important, um, and, and we've talked about it a lot, is actually um, deciding when not to go in, um, and like your whole kind of risk analysis piece, which is probably a, a whole podcast, you know, all by itself. Yeah. Um, and and but but it's understanding that when like the threat of force is is better than force itself. You know, when when do you need to change gears to play that positional game? Um, you know, keeping track of actually how many wounds are left on your opponent's models, um, because you you and, and then therefore you know you can work out what your likely damage is like. There's a, there's a big difference between you know sending a mature in. You know you've got a great hand. You know you're going to hit him. Um, you know random you know model number seven, and it's only got six wounds. And you're like right okay. I'm in damage is three. I can send a mature in here, and I'm not going to take much retaliation because I'm going to kill that model. Well that that's the difference between six wounds there where it's two weak damage, and seven wounds where you look you're, you're hitting a weak and at some point you want to moderate as one of your two attacks. Um, is, is, is a world of difference in terms of kind of how comfortable you are. And then that all revolves around, you know, what models have activated. Um, where are those models? What schemes do you have? And, and it kind of builds this other piece where th there's a whole other game happening, this whole positional game, um, which actually has got kind of nothing to do with beating face, but it's a result of your ability to do that and the effect that has on your opponent. So the other thing, guys, I would imagine, too, has got to be true is resource management, especially the card management, right, and, and your control hand, because, um, you know, you have, in order for this crew to, to play its game, it's going to, it's got to get its attacks through. And even with, you know, the stats six and sevens, uh, that it often will include some cheating. Uh, depending on how you're flipping. And then with all of those focuses around, I would imagine there are times when you're cheating damage as well, which is fantastic, right? You're, you're, you're doing the damage and stuff like that, but suddenly, you know, you're running out of cards. Um, and the one thing I have yet to hear from either of you guys is any card draw. So I would imagine part of that second level play, Andre, is, is learning uh, to say, okay, I am saving this card for defense. I'm saving this card for a potential, you know, damage flip. Um, that, that's got to be a big part of playing this crew effectively. Absolutely. I think that um, the saving cards defensively is 
something that takes a lot of discipline uh, to make, yeah. but it's an important part of making Nikima and her matures live. Uh, because the combat finesse, if you can save that queen, even if your opponent with stat six flips a 10, as long as you can cheat that queen, the, the attack just fails, wasted AP. Yep. And um, so a lot of the times, especially on those matures that have really spiky, severe damages with focus, it feels really bad when you come in with a focused mature attack and you're like, cool, straight flip and min. But when you're holding that 12, you're like, I got to hold that 12. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, uh, cheating defensively became a lot more important for Nikima in uh, the post-Arana world because she needs to provoke scamper. Um, and so if someone swings at her, hits like an eight for a total of 13 or 14, she'll cheat that queen, uh, because either, because they either now just have the AP fail like the mature, or if they do cheat, they give me a card because spite is built in on her defense. Uh, and she'll get to scamper probably to a range that will frustrate you in some way. Um, so defensively cheating is important and it's hard to come across cards to make that happen, but it feels a little better if you're doing it for Nikima because you'll get your card back with spite. Um, but that's also why I take Ancient Pact on Matures because that Nefarious Pact card draw at the end of their activation can right. totally make or break a turn. So Andre, I, and now you talking several times about taking, you know, six, seven, eight stones with this crew makes a lot of sense too. Um, that, 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 uh, stones can be very, very important for this. I'd be curious, Greg, for you on average, how many stones are you keeping in your pocket when you, uh, finish building? Oh, almost exactly the same six or seven. Yeah. Um, you, you, your, your, your master is, has got a big target on it and she, she's only defense five and that's pretty much where defense if tech stops, um, you know, if, if she's still alive, she can then potentially regen two of those wounds back. Um, she, you know, she, she can heal wounds when stuff dies near her, um, but there's no, uh, there's nothing to reduce the damage coming in apart from soul stones. It's all very much after the fact. You've, you've kind of got a surprising number of, um, you know, we talked about fly with me as if it's something that happens. Um, it's still a duel with a target number, and so to to get, it's not, it's nowhere near guaranteed that that you you top deck a six. Yep. And so sometimes you can find you potentially have your hand drying away just because you want that extra six inches of movement or just under. Yeah. And failing that could uh, just cripple your strategy, right? The things that you have set up and the places where you're going to be able to, again, pick your pick your uh, uh, points of engagement. Um, so I'd be interested, Greg, um, you're s sitting there on the other side of the table. You've got your Nakama crew ready. Um, you're feeling good about the schemes you chose. What are things that an opponent can bring or do on the table that just makes you go, oh, no. So what, what is what is this crew afraid of, Greg? Um, so for me, it's it's kind of guns and armor. <laughs> okay. Uh, the two. Um, getting shot um, sucks. You, 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 there's, there's no real defense against it. That, that's where you have to play. You know, you, you have to use flight and absolutely abuse it um, to hop from cover to cover, though. You know, a lot of your crew size three plus, so some of that can be in short supply depending on the board. Um, and the crew has no real way to deal with armor. Like all of these, you know, you put something that's armor two, even armor one, and and your you know min three damage um, suddenly starts to grind to a halt. You know, yep. you, you some something with six wounds and armor one um, suddenly takes three AP to kill, not two. Yep. Yep. How about you, Andre? What do you hate to see? Uh, I, without a doubt, have a burning, undying hatred for Fuhatsu. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he kind of comprises both of those things that, uh, right. to Greg's point, uh, frustrate Nephilim, which is armor 
and good shooting. Now, for the most part, I will say that shooting models generally don't present a problem for Nephilim if you can engage them correctly. Because if I have a sniper who's at like range 14, maybe 20, he's like, oh man, I'm so far away, I'm fine. He's not expecting those heavy claws of that mature Nephilim to be 20 inches and in his guts. Um, and so if you can close that gap before they fire, you're fine. The problem with Fuhatsu is that he's the he is a shooter that is uniquely equipped to be able to get out of a melee either by scattering models away um, or by just leaving. I, I've had him disengage so many times. Just like, yep. yep, cool, minus two, and now I have rapid fire, um, so he can fire in a melee. He's got a scary damage track, and uh, he's difficult to actually kill because between hard to wound, which counters your favorite thing to do, focus bombing. And armored, because we can't really punch it, um, he is really difficult to deal with. Uh, so I think Fuhatsu is definitely at the top of my list. Uh, but also, to Greg's point, I think armor generally presents a problem for Nephilim. Um, like a Hoffman crew with a, like a Peacekeeper, it's a struggle for us because we're basically yeah. damned to deal minimum damage to a hard-to-wound model and with armor too and the healing and the probable soulstone use in Arcanist. It all combines to be a very difficult thing to bring down for Nephilim. Um, because either of those things in isolation would have been fine. If you just had armor, if you have to kill a guardian, you can be like, well, you know, armor two sucks, but between all the plank damage that I'm doing and the fact that my moderate, I have to shoot a six and suddenly three damage out of that, you know, uh, eight health is, is still a chunk. Like yep. armor models aren't used to taking those kinds of chunks without getting their armor ignored. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, but, you know, those things in combination uh, present a very difficult problem for Nephilim to deal with, which is why, like I said recently, I've been taking to models like uh, Serena, who has an attack that punches armor, just because we need that tech piece, just in case. Well, and I would imagine, Greg, um, you know, especially with Focus being a big part of this crew, that hard to wound, is, it tends to be a pain in the ass, too. Um, yeah, yes and no. Um, yes, hard, hard to wound is a pain because because of the Focus, but, you know, Getting by on min damage three is is not the end of the world. Yeah, um, yeah. you know you're still in a far better place than most people. Yeah, and and those models tend to have quite low defense. That's very true. That's very very true. Uh, I know that firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so guys, let's take one more break. When we get back from this break, we're going to um, talk about something that um, has been causing a lot of noise. Um, uh, I want to talk about how long does it take to play a game of Malifaux. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux 3rd Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? Five dollars a month? Twenty dollars a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, need to give a special shout out to some of our recent patrons, Joe Hadfield, William Marjoram, Benjamin Chia, Alan Connell, Sean Fisher, 
James Whitbread, Bob Suderman, Nick Cromarty, Blair Thompson, Sean Ratner, Christopher Rue, and Cody Ravicki. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, we're able to put out all of this content. Thank you. Um, so at the time of this recording, we uh, just, I think, last week released um, a Path to Podium episode that uh, was based on a uh, event at the beginning of the year in Charlotte. Um, and uh, Oliver was one of the guests. Um, and uh, Oliver always has a very strong opinion about a lot of things. Um, and part of which makes Oliver a, a, a great guest. But um, the one thing that we talked about at the end of that podcast is we talked about, um, you know, the fact that people and his experience are not finishing games and that people are uh, lying to themselves that in a competitive environment, uh, Malifaux is a five turn game. And he thinks that people need to adjust and start playing like Malifaux is a three turn game. Well, it didn't take long for um, a lot of people to come back and say that's craziness. Um, And what's interesting to me, Greg, is that where I hear the most people saying, you know, why aren't you guys finishing games is um, from all of my friends um, over on your side of the world. So let's start off with something very basic, Greg. Uh, Do you have issues yourself in tournaments finishing uh, Malifaux 3rd Edition games? Uh, No, no, not at all. Um, I'd comfortably say more than um, 90% of my games are 4 or 5. Turn 4 or 5, sorry. Um, So so what are your... when you hear that opinion, right? Um, I mean, and you're like, what do you think is driving that thought? Um, because it's not, and I don't, I'm not targeting Oliver here. Right. But, um, cause I, a lot of people say this and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I struggle, um, finishing a game. Now I'm terrible. So that's why, but I struggle finishing games as well. I mean, in your mind, Greg, when you, when you hear somebody like Oliver, who's a good player, um, saying that you know he's consistently getting to turn three and turn four and can't finish a game. Um, what are your thoughts on what might be driving that versus what you guys are doing over there? Um, so, so I think there's a couple of things um, that I'm going to touch on. One, one um, might might be rehashing an old argument, but but we we have a certain advantage over here in that we are we're a fairly fairly large matter. Um, talk talking about the entire UK, um, but also quite dense in terms right. of. Um, we see the same people, you know, again, and again, and again, kind of countrywide, and there's a lot of us, um, and so it's it's easy to to build up, I suppose, kind of a national culture. And while while we're not, you know, kind of written rules, just just you know, standard um, um, like social situations, like what is and is not um, tolerated. And that's not to say that that you know, if someone you know always gets to turn through, you know, they're shunned and people are horrible to them, you know, etc. It's um, and I'm I'm trying to, to kind of uh, pick my words carefully here. Um, sure. In that there there is there is um, an expectation, um, which and again part of this I think is still a problem that that you should be getting to turn four, and that that the onus is is then put on both players that that should happen. Um, now that's something that's been around for a while, and I think I think started from. I'm kind of getting away from the cultural bit. We're going to get back to it. Don't worry. Um, yeah. In, in that there was this expectation from and, and, and advice, I suppose, is how it started, coming from top competitive players to say that you should be in a position to to kind of win your game by turn four, because you might not know if turn five is going to happen, right? So way way back, you know, in in, in a long long ago. Um, when we were all playing Malifaux 1.5, this was never a thing. 
games used to always finish quickly and then m2e came along um and and it started and and then the scene started to get more sophisticated and so um this you, you start to build more of a more of a culture and the culture was saying you know you should be at least getting a turn four like get a turn four you know if, if you're a good player if you want to win make sure you can get a turn four because you never know what's going to happen you can't always guarantee turn five and then that kind of changed into or, or kind of developed into you weren't doing getting a turn four because you might not get a turn five the expectation was if i've got to turn four I've done okay. Like we've played enough of the game, and I think that's still incorrect. Like you should always be pushing for turn five, and and that um, expectation is kind of what's almost been set in the UK. And and you potentially because people know each other more because you interact with the same people. Even if you're someone you know brand new to Malifaux, right? You, you go to two or three tournaments, you know, potentially in two or three months, right? You start to see the same people. We still got a very yeah. friendly community. You'll start making friends. You, you you'll be be kind of comfortable. Um, I hope to think you're comfortable, kind of just jo- jollying someone along a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, as if to say, like, you know, there's lots of decision points, right? We 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 talked about it about the start of the episode, and if someone's sp- spending a while on a decision. I, you know, you're more likely to feel comfortable saying someone you know, you know, excuse me, would you mind, you know, moving things along a bit? Like, would you mind making yep. a decision that, than you would to a total stranger? Um, which I, I dare say you're more likely to encounter, you know, if you've got someone, something like LVO or Gen Con, right? You, you're likely to see someone you've never seen before. Whereas if we got UK Nationals, there's a high chance you, you're going to play someone, okay, you may only have played them once or twice throughout the year, but chances are you've been to a lot of the same events and you can at least know them anyway. Um, so we got that advantage. Um, the other thing, which actually I don't hear talked about that much, but but I personally think is quite a big deal. Um, and this is not something that, that, that I think is is particular to the UK um, at all. I think it's just an interesting point, uh, which I don't see discussed often. Is is that there has to be a willingness to make mistakes. Um, yes. So in Malifaux, we've got an open information game, right? You can look at your opponent's cards whenever you want. You can, you know, pre-measure whenever you want. You can put proxy bases down. I mean, I, I do it all the time with with the mature Nephilim movements, right? Because I'm going to hop six, I'm going to move six, and I'm going to charge six, right? So instead of just moving the mature and, and you know, blah, 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 figuring out where I want to go, I'll put proxy bases down quickly and I just move it in one. Um, but but you can take that to an extreme and you can spend, you know, five minutes figuring out exactly where Small is going to go, who's going to engage, um, you know, what's this guy got, what are wounds on this guy, and you can build up time. And that and, and there's nothing um, kind of punishing you for that, which is something else I'll get onto. I'll let Andre talk first and I'll, I'll, I'll make another <laughs> point. But, the, um, but, but there needs to be a willingness to say, you know what, there's lots of decision points. You can't get every single one correct all of the time, right? That's what practice is for. That's, you know, we, exactly. we talked about risk management. We talked about choosing targets. At some point, you are going to f*** up. Like, it's just yep. going to happen. It, it happens from, you know, the very top players to the new player coming right in. You're going to f*** up. Like, just accept that's going to happen and make a decision quickly. Because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to make a mistake, but that's a learning opportunity, right? That's an opportunity to improve your game. And if you f*** up that badly, you're never going to do it again. Greg, I, I got to tell you, I could not agree more. One, that this is not part of the conversation and it should be. Um, and, you know, the, the reality is, is that you, you got, you got to, you're going to learn more by losing three games that went five turns than losing one game and winning one game that went to three turns. You're going to be a better player after those three games of five turns that take the same amount of time it took you to, you know, to only play six total 
total turns before and you still lost one because you know you overthought the damn thing um and you know there's obvious things like knowing your crew and stuff like that but um greg i think that's a phenomenal point which is you know at some point in this you just go you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna activate this model and this is what i'm gonna do and maybe when you look back on it you go you know what i screwed up but to your point greg that's how you're going to get better and you're going to see less of that andre have you listened to that charlotte episode i have not um and to speak to the point of not getting to turn five, uh, I, I'm actually kind of um, uh, I, not really familiar with the idea. Uh, in, in the Texas meta, it's <laughs> rare that we don't go to turn five and finish the game. Like usually uh, most of my games are done maybe an hour to an hour and a half into the slot. Uh, but that's not just me being aggressive. The Texas meta in a, in a general sense is aggressive. Uh, so, you know, the blood's been spilt and the schemes are captured by turns three and four, and so we know how it'll go. And a lot of the times, um, we'll get to turn, you know, beginning of four, he's got two models left, we'll talk out what our game plan is, and to be like, okay, so you'll score this, I'll score that, are you cool to call that? Cool. And then we're done. Um, but but to be clear, Andre, that's not playing five turns. So yes, I agree. I think that's part of what you do is at some point you say, look, we know how this is going to end. Let's talk through it and let's have an agreement. But that's not actually playing five turns. I mean, are you seeing are you seeing it difficult to literally do all of the activations for five turns? No, I, I have had in I've been playing tournaments since three E started. I have had literally one game that did not finish turn five. So. You know, I think Greg brought up some really good points. Is there what do you think would be driving if somebody who's a good player? Because I'm not he- just hearing it from new people and people that suck like me. I'm hearing it from some good players that are saying, "Yeah, I, I don't finish games." Do you have any ideas or thoughts on what might be driving that? Uh, I think that the biggest uh, aid that we use that I think other people might not be using is kind of having a. Uh, a known white whale of sorts. That is to say, you know what you're going to play into as a cross, like a tournament, as you become more familiar with your meta. You know, people look at me and they're like, ah, oh, it's that guy, he plays Nakima. I know what he's bringing. I've had this thought of how I'm going to bring her down. Um, and it's been the same for me. Oh, that's Von Stuck. How do I deal with this? Cool. So I have a game plan of what I'm doing before I even, you know, pack the models into my car to leave. So, um, and at that point, I'm running routines. Like I know what I've thought about and what I'm doing and I'm going to commit to that. And obviously you can adapt as, as, uh, as the game progresses and things change, you know, differently than you simulated it in your head. Sure. Uh, but for the most part with experience and with experience specifically against crews that you are now familiar with, you know what to expect to happen. And it even gets to the point where you're like, okay, cool. This is what I'm going to do. And if I black on any of these, here's how this changes. Cool. I'm just going to start flipping cards and you go bam, 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 done. Um, and the ability to think ahead without just because what usually will happen in slow play that I've seen is it'll get to someone's turn and they're like, oh, man, I don't know. What yeah. do I do here? And obviously, decision paralysis is the thing that affects everyone. Um, but it gets to the point where you're like, OK, cool. I'm just going to make a decision or I'm going to roll with it. Um, exactly. And that's Greg's point, right? Exactly. Yep, exactly. Agree. And it kind of gets the other player in the same mindset as well, where he sees you. If you take a, a turn, you're like, Nikima's two health, so is the mature, uh, but he's in a more scary place. I'm just going to activate Nikima. I'm going to do it. All right. She's going to attack here, here, here. Go, go, go. Um, and so when it gets to his turn, he feels, I mean, obviously peer pressure to use sparingly, but he gets to that point where we're like, oh, right. We're on a time limit. So I'm going to yeah. start picking, you know, picking models and flipping cards. Um, 
and, and it's not in a way where you're having to like sit there huffing and puffing at your opponent to, to get them to do things. I'm not saying that you're doing that, but um, you know, it, it ends up being more cordial because you're like, Oh, he's, he's hustling. I got to hustle and it makes the game go quickly. Well, you set the tone, right? Exactly. You set the tone and you say, this is how, this is how we're going to play this game. One other thing. And then I've got a question for you, Greg. One other thing that I don't hear talked about that I think is a time suck where you lose time is um, worrying about the last flip that just happened, worrying about the last activation that's now it's your turn. And, you know, something went against you. Something came into you didn't expect. Uh, you flipped the black joker on the defense and you lost your key model. And and I see it all the time. And I, and, and I can't be too hard on somebody because I've done it too, where you're just sitting there going, well, damn it. You know, that really sucked. And I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And now I can't, and I can't believe that happened. And next thing you know, three minutes have gone by and you, you have, you have done nothing to move towards activating a model because you've done that. And one of the best players that I ever saw play, and I used to play him a lot is a guy named Alex Schmidt who doesn't play anymore. Um, but, uh, he was here in the North Carolina meta. Um, and I learned a lot by playing him. And the one thing that I was, was always fascinated by him was we used to joke that Alex was a robot because he would show no emotion at the table. And he like, you could go in there and you could have red jokered out of nowhere and taken out one of his key pieces and you go, all right, I'm done. And he'll go, okay, I activate this now. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Let's flip some cards, your activation. And like, it was disconcerting. Like you were like, dude, I just took out your master. <laughs> like, I like, you don't even acknowledge it, but that's how we played. Right. That's, that's how he processed information. And that's how we played. And I think that paid off. Um, Greg, if somebody is listening right now and they are struggling to finish their games and they want Malifaux to be a five turn game in a competitive environment, what are maybe one or two bits of advice you can give them? Um, so the first one, I think we, we've already kind of covered, which is it's okay. Make mistakes. Like you, you're going to yep. mess up. Um, you know, even the top players that you think are playing perfectly, I guarantee you they're thinking of a couple of things that happened, even in the previous turn, right? That they've gone, ah, that could have gone better. I should have maybe done this. But you just haven't seen that communicated on their faces, right? They might not have just said that out loud, but just they're playing the game, they're just doing doing their thing. Um, and the other thing is that one of the selling points of Malifaux is that you, you have, at the start of every game, you've got your entire faction to choose from, right? And you can build your crew on the fly. I, my, my advice is, is is don't do that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I said it, Christ, on on Schemes and Stone podcast, no matter how many years ago, right? But I I like to pick, uh, you know, two, three, maybe four at max crews that I kind of have in rotation, and that's what I'll play because I'll know what I'm, I'll know how those models work, I'll know what my options are sitting at the table, and if something weird comes up, then chances are I've played with them enough that that I've already covered it. Um, yep. Now, if you're a brand new player um, and you're coming to a tournament, you're not going to have that level of practice. Totally understand that. Um, you know, you can explain to your opponent, look, I'm putting you, a if this is going to go slow, I'm going to try and hurry up. But make mistakes, right? Just just get, mm-hmm. play fast. Hell, may even play like one crew or one master the entire tournament, right? I get the experience, get the social side of things down. And if you finish that game early, right? Let's let's say, let's say right, you have a 90, let's say it's a two-hour round, right? And let's say you get smashed in 90 minutes, right? Do you know what you've just got? You've just got half an hour to sit down with your opponent and discuss how that game went. Amen. Right? What did I do wrong? What could I do better? What were you worried about? When did you stop worrying? Like you know, you've got all of these little questions you can pepper your opponent with. Your opponent's going to be fine. Like one one of the great things about this community is that 
and, and the way the game works, right, because it's so back and forth with a cheating mechanic, is that you, you just develop conversation, right? It's not like, um, you know, playing 40K or like, say, playing War Machine or something, right, where you can almost not interact with your opponent because of just mm-hmm. the way the game's constructed. In this game, you have to interact. And so hopefully, I'd like to think you'd feel comfortable afterwards saying, hey, look, you know, we've got 20 minutes, we've got 10 minutes, whatever. Do you mind having a quick chat at the end of a game? And that's going to do you the world of good. Yeah, and, and, and what's rare is somebody that, that doesn't do that, that doesn't help you out. Because for whatever reason, and it's something I love about this game, we've got such a generous group of players all around the world. Um, and uh, I, I've, you know, I have not encountered somebody that isn't, you know, that I say at the end of the game, you know, did you notice anything? Like, did I do anything where you're like, oh, that was great? Or did you see something I missed where you're like, oh, thank God Craig didn't activate that model? And they'll, they'll flat out tell it to me, you know? I've had it happen mid-match um, just because of how good... Um, you know, people are, and it's also kind of built into the nature of the game. You know, it's open information to your point, Greg. Um, and two, um, a good player is not afraid to say, you know, Hey, you know, I was, yeah, it's interesting. I didn't expect you to activate that model. I would have thought that's a better play. And the game is built so that that good player has not given up any chances of them winning. They're still going to win the game, even though they've, you know, tipped their hand. So the one last thing I'll throw in here, then Andre, I'd like to get your last thoughts, but the one last thing I'll throw in here, and this gets to the analysis paralysis, which is something that I battle. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't key points in every game because there are right. And you can come up with three or four ones, but one mistake is not going to lose the game of Malifaux for you, right? You're not going to play a perfect game and make one bad decision and lose the game. Uh, it's going to be a series of bad decisions, and it's going to be a series of bad decisions that snowballed out there. So, uh, again, to be a broken record, to emphasize both what Andre and Greg said, just j- make some decisions. Make some decisions, and then make sure you're ten- spending the time afterwards, either with the person you played or with your friends on chat or by yourself in the shower going, you know what, let me go through that game again. Um, and uh, the other thing I'll throw out there, what uh, I call the uh, Cody Hyatt uh, kitchen table technique, um, which is, you know, one of the things that Cody Hyatt, who's a very good player, talks about all the time, is that he sits there by himself with models and plays Malifaux. And sometimes he's got a crew on the other side. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he does first two turns with just his crew on the table over and over again. And what's great about that is you get to the point where you go, all right, I'm going to activate this model. I'm going to attack you at stat seven. No card was picked up. All right, I flip it. I got a tome. This is what the tome does. I still haven't picked up my card. I'm going to cheat in the crow because I know I need the crow. Because I've played, I've played this game so many times with the, with this models. Andre, how about you? Any other last thoughts or advice that you can offer? Uh, I just want to kind of second what you were saying there, in that familiarity with your own crew and especially your opponent's crew as well uh, can make the game go a lot, lot faster. Um, where you know, if you're like, okay, you know, she attacks, oh, but what's her stat again? It's it's seven. I, I know it's seven. It's going to be it's a three five six. I could name you every trigger and every stat on every model in the Nephilim keyword. And that kind of familiarity means that, yeah, I don't have to pick up the cards at all. I mean, I'm marking wounds, but that's it. Um, And that lends to a very fast game. It also means that your opponent doesn't have to explain what a trigger does if you know what that model does. Um, Because a lot of times if you're like, okay, so wait, why does Zianlo have that trigger? And so there's a lot of things that go into that where you're like, I don't understand how this works. But if if you've seen that crew and you know what it does, it saves you and your opponent a ton of time of not having to explain things, knowing what stuff does. 
Yeah, and if there was only a YouTube channel um, that had battle reports you could watch, because I think watching battle reports on uh, Third Floor Wars um, helps too, right? Seeing other people playing and seeing how they play. And, you know, one of the things that's a big part of our battle reports when we put them out is having the interviews afterwards where you also learn the thinking. Um, you get better not only by playing, but by watching other people play and and, and being critical and, th- and thoughts about it. So, Andre, um, any uh, shout outs or plugs that we want to get out there as we finish up? Uh, no, I mean, I'm always here for my girl, God Empress Nakima. I'm glad you could have me on to, <laughs> to laud her praises. And uh, I hope that more people become interested in her and her play style because of this. Very cool. How about you, Greg? Any shout outs or plugs? Um, not really, but I am, I'm going to keep, keep talking about slow play for a second. Oh, please. Um, because it, it, it does come back to Nakima. So, so, so there's one thing which, which I always find interesting about, about the, um, the slow play argument is, is that, at the moment, there's kind of no incentive to play quickly apart from social pressure, right? And, and right. so, in 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 your meta, if if people are fair enough with a game going at turn three, then then why why would you play quickly? Right? Why would you put yourself under pressure, um, you know, unnecessarily, right? And and, and this kind of um, came from a, a conversation I had with, with Alex um, Alex Drake, um, got Scottish GT maybe last year, year before, and, and we were chatting how how that. That Alex and and myself, when when I first started playing Malifaux, we were always far more comfortable playing from behind than we were playing in the lead, right? Because because when you're playing from behind, you need the extra time, right? You need to play faster because you need more turns, right? If you lose a strategy point, there's no way you catch up unless you deny your opponent one and score one yourself. There's no right. way you get in the lead unless you have that extra turn. And so you, you, you do actually start potentially making more mistakes. You start getting more creative. You start maybe making those riskier plays because you need to catch up and you start playing faster because you want that time to pass. Um, and that's something that, again, I don't see talked about. Like, you know, whenever whenever people talk about, about chess clocks, and, and I'm not going to go into that oh, argument. Don't get me started with that. Yeah. Apart from saying, <laughs> apart from saying that, that, the, that the reason that, that that comes up is because people are trying to bring an incentive in to Correct. to speed up play. Um, because, you know, unless, unless like, you know, you've got a TO coming around or you're being pressured from, from the player, there's no kind of inbuilt um, game mechanic to, to, to kind of speed speed things up um and and, and the reason I'm, I'm talking about that in particular with with nakima is, is that you know we've talked a lot about the extreme threat rangers and a lot about kind of boxing the enemy crew in and taking board space well that kind of putting that level of pressure on an opponent and that level of aggression um is you know you, you could do that quite quickly right and then your opponent can potentially unless you're going to 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 kind of ask ask them to make a decision ask them to hurry up which you know might be you know, you're making that person uncomfortable. Like you are going to do that, and, and other people might not be comfortable with that. They might not be comfortable doing it. They might not like someone else asking them to hurry up. But yep. but it's part of your game plan is to put pressure on your opponent. But then you're kind of taken away from from yourself um, by giving them essentially or potentially infinite amount of time to kind of figure out the situation you've just presented to them. And you know your crew's balanced one particular way, and and that involves being aggressive and putting pressure on people. And it, I just find it, it's an interesting thing to to try and balance. And I don't, um, I can understand people not being um, entirely comfortable with that, and, and asking someone, you know, even if it is politely to say, look, you know, you've got, can can you make a decision now? I understand you've got a lot of options, but we need to start moving well- this along. So I, 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 I'm passive aggressive uh, with me. So my my move is uh, 
know, I'll sit there and I'll give someone time, especially if I know they're new. Um, and uh, the line I always end up doing is going, um, so what model are we activating? I'll just, just say it. <laughs> and they're like, well, I was thinking, like, well, let's go ahead and pick one. Like, 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 let's get this ball going, right? Let's, let's pick a model. <laughs> let's start there. Okay. Now, okay. Now we've got a model. Fantastic. Let's go, you know? Um, and sometimes it's just, it, it's a little bit of pushing and, you know, Greg, you hinted at it. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Right. Um, but also if you are encountering somebody who I think is taking longer than they should, I don't think it's wrong to become a mini TO at that point either, which is pay attention to the clock and say, you know, we're, we're an hour in. I really, really, really feel like we should be at turn three by now. Um, and saying that out loud and, and, you know, something silly like using the pronoun we takes a lot of the heat off of it too, right? So you're not saying because of you, we're only on turn two right now. We're two hours into this game, but you say, you know what? I kind of thought we should be at, at turn three. We might need to, you know, speed this up a little bit. Um, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be Oliver and be a jerk. <laughs> Um, well, gentlemen, I was really tickled um, when I reached out to you both that uh, uh, you guys were available to come on. Um, and uh, this is not the last time that we're going to have you on the show. Um, so thanks. Thanks again. Um, uh, very, very appreciated. And for those of you that listen to the end, take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. And Greg, I'm starting with you. Because okay. it's your yep, sure. it's your side of the pond that's telling everybody on this side of the pond they don't know what they're doing when it comes to finishing <laughs> games. Okay, no, that's good. It's good. So I, I made notes for this, and it good. kind of I'm excited. Wall, which, uh, <laughs> good. All right. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I actually made notes for the entire podcast, Craig. I'm being. I'm actually trying this You're, time, man. Like, my, <laughs> I haven't played last, in a while, so it's like, fuck the, it. We're, the Asami podcast was an embarrassment, Greg. Nobody listened to it, so I'm glad you prepared this time. <laughs> Literally one of the most listened to yeah, of all my episodes, because uh, you and Alex kicked ass. So, 
Alright, I'll bring us back. Alright. What's cool is that we've already, like, hinted at a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about in this next segment, so it should be a short segment, which is great. Oh, yeah, I've, I've kind of got one bit which, again, um, is, going to, is 100% going to be controversial, slightly. Um, Good. Especially after your last podcast, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, for the it's last... It's an interesting one, actually. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it, Andre. Yeah, no, I would, no, I genuinely would be interested to hear your thoughts on this, because, it's again, it's a pet peeve of mine, but... Yeah, and, it's in a, and I think it's kind of built into her playstyle, but we'll get Very there. cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our last segment. Um, I think that's going to be, um, right now, a hot topic. Um, so, all right, I'll bring us back for second level play. All right. Um, so for this segment, uh, pick one, maybe two strategies you like her in. Um, keep it, and the more you talk about the context, you know, don't be afraid to say I don't like her in symbols because I'd rather take, you know, Lucius or whatever, you know, <coughs> it won't be Lucius, but, um, uh, you know, don't be afraid. We're, we're, I guess what I'm saying is we're not trying to sell Nekama, right? We're not trying to say that yeah. you should be playing her. She's the best. Right. We want to give a Neverborn player an understanding of, you know, here's the pool and here's where she might have some play, but don't forget that Titania exists. So, right. and the same thing with schemes. Give me two or three schemes that, uh, that you love and, uh, two or three schemes that, uh, Nephilim's, uh, deny. Does that sound all right? Yep. All right. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. I'll probably start with you, Andre. Great. Now, I never, as a uh, uh, resurrectionist player, really looked at. Um, God, why can't I think of the name? I'm losing track of thought here. Rotten uh, bells. Uh, what's that? Rotten bells. Yes, thank you. Mm. I look at. Uh, didn't look at rotten bells. They just weren't worth it, especially when I. Came I like having veterans on the show. <laughs> we get to no, the points real quick and informative. Yeah, I do. I, I like, no, actually, boom, I'm just enjoying talking to you, Andre. It's good. Like we, we, I'm finding the flaws quite well. We, you start, you, you talk about exactly what I want to discuss, and then there's still a, you know, you know what I mean. Like I'm, I'm enjoying it, man. It's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah this yep. has actually been a ton of fun so far. Good. All right, I'll bring us back. 